I invite you to find your place in your Bible at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And we're going to read just one verse of Scripture there. We are two-thirds, as of the end of this message today, we are two-thirds of the way through this series. We have two more messages to go. And today I'm going to do something that I promised you I'd do early on in this series of messages. Proverbs chapter 22, we're going to look at just one verse of Scripture, verse 6. Solomon writes, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me read it again and pay careful attention to it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's bow our heads together for a moment of prayer, and let's ask the Lord to guide us. Father, we thank you for this Sunday and us moving back toward a more normal schedule and some of the things that we're, we're used to doing before uh, the virus came. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to continue to be extremely safe. We're going to be conscientious about all those measures that we need to take to keep people safe. But Lord, we're thankful to be moving back towards some normalcy. We ask, Lord God, that as we turn our attention to your word and we continue talking about the rearing of our children, that you will guide us. Lord, many have their children already raised. Some of them that are here listening today are raising their children. But Lord, this is truth out of your word, and it's applicable for all of us, and we all benefit when we learn your word. So Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts and open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. And then, Lord, when we come to the conclusion of this service and we participate in the observance of communion together, I pray that you'll bind our hearts together as one people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This verse that I've read to you this morning is probably the best-known text in the book of Proverbs about the matter of raising children. I personally believe about this particular verse that it provides the basic framework, the plan, if you will, for training and preparing our children for life, not just in the spiritual realm, but in many other realms as well. There are other verses in Proverbs that deal with child rearing, but most of those deal with the subject of discipline. And of course, when you think about training, discipline has to be a part of it, but the idea of training is much broader. It's a much larger subject, a much larger topic, and that's where we're going to be focusing our attention. And the fact is this, that you are training your children whether you know it or not. You're either doing it intentionally or you're doing it accidentally, but your children are watching. Grandparents, your grandkids are watching. They're paying attention every moment. They're seeing how that you respond to life, how you prioritize, how you problem solve, how you give, how you love, how you react, how you work, how you discipline, and all of these other things. They're like a sponge, and they're taking it all in all the time. They're just absorbing one thing after another, and they're learning from you all the time. I would tell you that your children are like a mirror and they're reflecting back to you some of what you are and how you conduct yourself in the family. Of course, that reflection comes with a little bit of their own personality added in because every child is unique and different. But that reflection that's coming back to you has something to say about the way you respond to life and how you live out life. 
Because you're training, whether intentionally, which is what we want you to do, or accidentally, you're training your children one way or the other. And ultimately, what we want our children to be able to do is to grow up and to know that when they stand before God one day, that they will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, as you think about the Proverbs, I've got to give you a little bit of a background, a little bit of an understanding of how Proverbs work. When you see this book of Proverbs, you should understand that in this book are both specific promises as well as general principles. Specific promises as well as general principles. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's some things in here that if you do what it says, it's guaranteed that you're going to get the result you ask for. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, a verse or two verses that we quote a lot, this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, we quote that verse whenever we're facing a decision we have to make and we determine we're going to trust the Lord. We're not going to lean on what we understand or what we see and we're depending on God to guide us. And he does. That's a promise. That's a specific promise. It's always true. But there are also in the book of Proverbs, maybe more of these than specific promises, general principles. For instance, in Proverbs 16, 13, it says, righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. Now, we all know that kings don't always like righteous speakers, people who tell the truth, right? Uh, Think of the Old Testament king uh, Ahab. He didn't like what Elijah had to say to him. And so that's a, that's a general principle. Most of the time, under most circumstances, you know, the king is going to appreciate you telling them the truth, but that's not always the case. And so when you're reading through Proverbs and you're trying to gain the, the wisdom out of this book, you have to be reminded that this is a piece of wisdom literature, that as you follow these principles, these truths, it's going to move you in a direction toward God. It's going to guide you toward your best for God, but there are included here both specific promises and uh, general principles. And in my estimation, Proverbs 22, verse 6 is one of those general principles, and I say that for this reason. You all and I know people who have loved their children, who have taught their children the right way, who have tried to guide them where they needed to go, but when their children got older, they made some bad choices and they went the wrong direction, almost exactly opposite of what their parents desired. We have to remind ourselves that as our children grow up, they have free will, right? Your children have free will. They express that probably on a, on a regular basis and you try to curb that on a re- regular basis as well. But the older they get, the less control you have over that free will. And sometimes even the best parents who've done the best job at training their children and teaching their children find a child that doesn't go the path that they wanted to see their child to go. Here's an illustration of how this can happen, just one way that this can happen. It comes from uh, the story about the Great Wall of China. You probably have seen pictures of it. It's really not one wall. It's several walls. It stretches for thousands of miles. It's not all brick. Some of it is just earth that's been mounded up uh, in order to create a wall. But there's a common myth about the Great Wall of China, and it is that you can see the Great Wall of China from the moon. 
That's not true. According to the NASA website, you might be able to see the Great Wall of China, or at least a part of the Great Wall of China, in low Earth orbit if all of the conditions are perfect or if you have some kind of telescopic aid to be able to see it. But there's some interesting things about the Great Wall of China. It took them hundreds of years to build. Uh, it's as much as 12 to 40 feet wide and 20 to 50 feet in height. And it was intended to be something that the enemy couldn't scale. It would be too thick for them to tear down, and it would be too long for them to go around. And yet, in the first 100 years of its existence, China was invaded three times in spite of the wall. Do you find that interesting? And do you know what the enemies did? They simply went to the gates, and they bribed the gatekeeper. They simply bribed the gatekeeper. The fatal flaw in China's defense lay in spending its wealth to build a wall, but not paying the price to build the character of the gatekeepers. Now, that happens. It happens in the lives of our children. We're training and we're working to teach them the things of God and the ways of God. We're trying to instill into them virtues and values that we want them to take with them for the rest of their lives. But we have to understand, because they have a free will, Satan is the master deceiver, and sometimes he deceives our children to believe something that's opposite of what we've taught them to believe. And his desire, ultimately, is to bring our children to a place of destroying them if he possibly can. And it breaks a parent's heart when they see that unfolding before them after all that they have done to teach their children the right way. And so all I'm saying to you is, when you come to Proverbs 22, verse 6, this is a general principle. Most of the time, as we instill in our children the right things, they're going to grow up to adopt those things for themselves and follow that path. But we want to be careful about not laying guilt on parents who have loved their children, who have trained their children well, but who made a bad choice, uh, operated in their own free will, were deceived by Satan, and went a different direction. Now, in these words of chapter 22, verse 6, there are three main points, and I'm encouraging you to write these down because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you that plan that I told you about earlier on in this series of messages. And if you haven't heard the other messages, you can go online at lmbc.org and you can watch any of them free of charge. Or you can download our church app and you can watch it free of charge. Watch them free of charge. But I'm going to give you an outline. I can give you a framework. I can give you a skeleton, but I can't flesh this out for your family because every family is unique and every family is different. The dynamics of every family is unique and it's different. But I can give you this framework, and then you can take it home, and you and your wife, you and your husband can pray together, and you can work through this outline together, and you can develop a plan of what you want to accomplish in the rearing of your children. And this plan, this framework, comes completely from Proverbs 22, verse 6. So the first part is this. The first point, if you're taking notes... First, there is, the right, there is the matter of right timing. There is the matter of right timing. You, you notice what he says here, train up a child. That word child is in reference to a child that's anywhere from birth to adolescence. 
from those early years of life up until their late teenage years of life. And so it spans a, a pretty long period of time, some 16, 17, 18 years uh, of age. But when you see that word child, it's telling you some things. First of all, it's telling you that you have to train them early. You have to train them early. You don't want to wait until the children are grown or almost grown before you begin this process. You want to begin it as soon as you can possibly begin, instilling in your children the virtues and the values that you want them to live by for the rest of their lives. There was an occasion when a farmer was asked the question, how is it that you have such beautiful sheep? And the farmer responded, I take care of the lambs. And that's what we have to do. We have to begin when our children are very small, if at all possible, begin when our children are very small to instill into them the values and the virtues that we want them to experience. Not only must you train them early, you, you must train them daily because this whole idea of being a child is not going to last forever. And this is something that has to happen every single day. As a child, they need this emphasis every single day of their lives. This is a process that can't be done haphazardly. It can't be done inconsistently. What's acceptable or unacceptable on one day can't be overlooked the next day. Something that's right one day is right the next day. And something that's wrong one day is wrong the next day. And you can't laugh at a lie one day and correct a lie the next day you got to be consistent. And so this is a matter that is daily. Now, we looked at this in detail in the last message, but let me read it to you again from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, just a portion of it. He says, you shall teach them. That's the principles, the truths of God. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Do you see the daily aspect, the consistent aspect of it? And, and so we train them early. We, we train them daily. Every single day provides opportunities for us to be teaching our children values and virtues that we want them to have for the rest of their lives. In other words, training your children isn't reserved for just a specific time on a specific day at a specific place. Every time you're with your children, you're going to find opportunities and circumstances, problems or struggles that they're dealing with, and that opportunity provides an, uh, the, the chance for you to teach them something about how to handle life and how to deal with life. Uh, I can hear my mother saying this. If she said it once to me, she said it to me a thousand times because my patience sometimes runs out. Does yours? So all of you are ultimately just got this ultimate patience, Right? My patience sometimes would run out, especially as a child, more so than as an adult. My patience would run out, and she'd say, Davy, patience is a, it's a virtue. If I've heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. What was she doing daily? She was using opportunities, and it wasn't always about patience. It was about other things in my life. She was always doing something to remind me if I had an opportunity. She had an opportunity in my life. She had an opportunity. She took that opportunity on a daily basis. So you have to train early. You have to train daily. Then I would say, as you think of the word child, you have to train thoroughly. Being a child, it goes from infancy to adolescence. And, and so you have to train thoroughly. Not only are you doing this as early as possible, and are you doing it as, you know, on a daily basis, but you want to make sure that you use that entire time. And you never give up. You just keep training. Now, if you're like uh, us, there were times when your children, you wondered, are they ever going to get it? Are they ever going to get it? 
right? And then they would go off and they would be at somebody else's house and they would say, oh, your kids are so wonderful. They're so well-behaved. And we thought aliens had taken over the bodies of our children. You know what I'm talking about? We have to keep training. We have to do it early. We have to do it daily. And we have to do it thoroughly. That's the whole idea of this matter of right timing. And we never give up until they walk out of our house to live on their own so they get into a marriage and they're having their own children and they're living their own lives and their own career. We're constantly as parents, thoroughly, as, as much as we can, expanding what we teach our children. You realize that the average teenage boy doesn't know basic ethics, basic etiquette. They don't know when you're walking down a street with a girl that the boy always walks closest to the road and the girl farthest from the road? They don't know that. Matter of fact, today boys don't hardly even know to open a door for a lady, and there's a lot of ladies that are offended if you do so. Just ignore them. Teach them anyway. There's all kinds of these values and these virtues. You want your children to tell the truth. There's never really an appropriate time to tell a lie, Right? One lie always leads to another. And so you, you want to teach them thoroughly. There's a lot of these matters that they're biblically based, but they have to do with their character. They have to do what is, with what is right or wrong. They have to do with values and virtues in life. Why is it when we come in the auditorium, we take off our hat? Because it shows respect. Why, when they play the national anthem, do they put their hand over their heart or their hat over their heart? Because it does what? You're teaching respect, right? Yes. Right. I, I, again, growing up in the South, you don't do this so much around here, I realize. It might be a good idea if you did it. But in the South, you were taught to teach, you were taught respect for adults by saying yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir. Uh, and every time I didn't say yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I was reminded, no, no, David, that's yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. In other words, you're teaching constantly. Why? There's, you thoroughly want to ingrain this into their lives. There's this matter of right timing. You must train early. You must train daily. And you must train thoroughly. You want to give them a full experience. You want to teach them that if they go to a fine dinner, you want them to know what fork to start with. Okay, so maybe you don't. You want to teach them to respect their elders. You want to teach them values. You want to teach them virtues. Problem is, a lot of us, of us don't even know those values and those virtues. The problem is, a lot of us don't even know what is right or what is wrong. We have lost a lot of that ourselves. And so there's the matter of right timing. But secondly, in Proverbs 22, verse 6, the second part of this outline is that there's the matter of responsible tailoring. There's the matter of right timing. You must train early. You must train daily. You must train thoroughly. But then there's the matter of responsible tailoring. I want you to notice what he says again in verse 6. He says, train up a child in the way he should go. In the way he should go. It's interesting that that little Hebrew phrase literally means according to his own way. Do you realize that every child has strengths and weaknesses 
They have personalities that are unique and different to their brothers and their sisters. Even when I have seen identical twins, they look the same. Everything about them seems the same, but you find that they have distinctions amongst the two of them. Uh, even though they're identical twins, I mean, we all have differences about us. And there is the matter of responsible tailoring that's indicated in this word training. When we talk about training them in the way they should go, it's this matter of responsible ta- tra- uh, of, uh, tailoring. First of all, if you're writing down this outline, training should be according to maturity. That's the developmental sense of the word training should be according to their developmental uh, ability, according to their maturity level. We watched in the video a few minutes ago, you know, it's probably not a good idea to teach a little toddler uh, amillennialism or dispensationalism or annihilationism. You know, those are important terms. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Those are vital terms, especially as you get older. You want to understand the teaching and the truths of those matters. But that's probably not the stage where you want to begin it. I mean, you've got to understand your children, their developmental stage, where they are. All children are at different stages in maturity. Have you found that to be true? I have found some children that were very young who were old people in young bodies. And I found some that were much older that were still very young children in those older bodies. And so there's this matter of, of responsible ta- tailoring. You're training according to maturity. Secondly, you're training according to ability. Training should be according to ability. The first way is the developmental sense. This is the vocational sense in his own way. Uh, children have aptitudes and they have abilities. Some are good at sports and some aren't. I was talking to Mary this morning. I couldn't remember the name of the young man that was in our class when we were growing up in high school, and she provided it for me. I'll just give you his first name. His name was Calvin. Calvin would never have been able to hit a golf ball or hit a baseball. He would never have been good at soccer. He was just not sports-minded. He was the valedictorian. He was the brilliant kid. He was the one who made straight A's all the time. He was the one that made the rest of us look really bad, if you know what I'm talking about. We didn't always like Calvin, because if you wanted your test graded on a curve, it didn't help much with him in, in the, you know, the sampling. Uh, but probably uh, most people or a lot of people are working for Calvin today. You know what I'm saying? He's that smart. Some kids are smart. Some kids are smart and athletic. Some are just athletic. Some are smart and not athletic. You've got to know your kids. There's the vocational sense. You know, I, I'm a proponent personally, this is my own opinion, that college isn't right for every kid. Some kids need to follow after a vocation in life. Make a good living. Have a good life. Do something you enjoy doing, working with your hands. There is no shame in doing that. By the way, what good does it do sometimes, not all the time, what good does it do to have a college education, something on a piece of paper that doesn't match what you want to do in life and you're still paying for and you can't get a job with it? Training should be according to ability. Training should be according to maturity. Thirdly, training should be according to personality. This is the emotional sense. We move from the developmental sense to the vocational sense to the emotional sense. This training 
should be according to personality. You train your children with what best motivates them. For me, that was chocolate, chocolate chip cookies. You train your children with what best motivates them according to their age in life and their stage in life, according to their personality. You know, you have some children that are extremely, excessively sensitive. And you have other children that are just extremely and excessively strong-willed. And you have to understand something about the personality of your child. You can't say these things, parents. You can't say, well, that's the way my parents raised me, and that's the way I'm going to raise you. That's a foolish thing for a parent to say. Or to say, well, it was good enough for me, it's good enough for you. If you love your children and you want your children to learn the values and the virtues, you want them to be able to grow up to love God and one day stand before God and have God say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. you got to understand your child's maturity, what your child's abilities are, what is your child's personality. Not every child has the same personality. And we make a study of our children's personalities. How many of you parents, even if your children are grown, can say, my children's personalities had distinctions from one another? Just raise your hand. I mean, just about every parent in the room. There are no clones, are there? And anytime you think about you know, cloning you or cloning me, your wife or your husband says, no, we got, one's enough, one's enough. Those differences are what make them so special. And then fourthly, this training should be according to priority. This is about responsible tailoring, training according to maturity, according to ability, according to personality, according to priority. You say, what do you mean according to priority? Well, he says, train up the child or a child in the way, the way he should go. Now, if you do a study of the book of Proverbs, here's what you'll discover, is whenever you find that word way, in the book of Proverbs, it's referring most of the time to the matter of morality. It's referring most of the time to the matter of things that are vital, uh, virtues, values, for instance. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 11, I have taught you the way of wisdom. Or Proverbs 8, verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness. Or Proverbs 12, 28, in the pathway of righteousness is life. In its pathway, there is, there is no death. Do you see it? That's the priority. You say, what's the priority? Well, I want to make sure they get a great education. No, 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 no. You want to make sure they get a great education, but that's not your priority. That's a secondary priority. What is my priority? I want my children to have character. I want them to have values. I want them to have virtues. I want them to be able to have a spiritual life, to have a relationship with God. I want them to be able to stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want them to be able to live in a way that they are a contributor to the community, not a detractor from the community. We don't leave our children to navigate this world without a moral compass, and that's where we are today. Children that are being left, and they have no idea about what is right or wrong, what is proper or what is improper. We want to teach them how to make good choices because we know, those of us who are old enough, we know that you go down that path, we know it's a dead end. We know it doesn't end well. They don't know that. They don't even believe that you know that, but you know that you know that. Are you with me? And so 
There's a training according to their maturity and training according to their ability and training according to their personality and there's training according to priority. What's most important? Teaching them to love God. Let me just give you the first priority. The first priority of every parent is to see to it that their children come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't even imagine spending eternity without my children or my grandchildren there. Can you? I can't even imagine it. I can't even ponder that. I can't even think about it. I want my children to know Christ. I want my grandchildren to know Christ. That's the first priority. And beyond that, I want them to know the truths of Scripture, the values and the virtues that are a part of good character that come out of the Bible, that make you a distinction amongst the world that's so common, that make you stand out because you're different. I'm not talking about different in a weird way. I'm talking about different in a good way. What is the number one complaint that I hear from people who are employers? Number one complaint, I can't find anybody who wants to, who wants to work. I can't find anybody who wants to work. They want a paycheck, but they don't want to work. Do you know where they learn that? They learn that from their parents. Parents failed at some point in instilling these basic values that you work for what you get. Socialism is not a good thing. It makes God, it makes the government God. God needs to be God in our lives. He is our provider. And work is the way God intended for us to have the things in life that we have. And so there's the matter of responsible tailoring. There's the matter of right timing. But thirdly, here's the third part of your outline. It's a little bit academic today, I know, but I'm I'm giving you a framework. I'm giving you a skeleton. You have to flesh it out yourself in your own family. Third, there's the matter of reliable training. There's the matter of reliable training. I want you to go back with me to that word training again. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Training involves these elements, these components. First, there's demonstration. Training involves demonstration. It's about showing your children what you expect and what you want from them before you tell them what you expect and what you want. You can't be a hypocrite in your own home. Your kids will see the hypocrisy faster than anybody else. You may hide it from your spouse, but you will never hide it from your children. And we're not talking about being perfect here. There are no perfect parents. We're talking about when we make mistakes, we acknowledge them to our children and we say, please forgive us. I am so sorry. And I'm going to do the right thing next time. Please forgive me. They're not looking for perfect parents. They're looking for genuine and real parents who are giving them a demonstration of what it means to follow God, to love God with all of their hearts. We have to demonstrate that for them. Think about it. Every major sport has what? Trainers. They have what? Coaches. What are they doing? They're teaching when I was a kid. Baseball was really not my thing. I played five years of baseball, Little League Baseball. Golf was my thing. But I played five years of baseball, and I can remember going to the Tony Elementary uh, playground. They had a backstop at one end of the playground. They had a fence way out. I could never hit the ball that far anyway. I was pretty good at fielding the ball, but I wasn't so good at hitting the ball. That sounds strange. When it's moving, it's harder to hit when 
for me at least, than when it's sitting on a little tee like that. And my dad would take me on Saturdays, Saturday mornings. Sometimes he would take me in the evenings. And we had gotten a bucket full of baseballs uh, in my bat that I had, my glove. And my dad would stand on the pitcher's mound, and he would throw me pitches, and I would hit. And he would say, now, David, you get your weight back on your right foot. Now, get that bat up. You don't lay that bat off. Get that bat off your shoulder. Get that bat up. You got to step into the ball. Don't step. He used to say it this way. Don't step into the bucket. Do they still say that? Stepping away from the ball. Don't step away from the ball. you got to step toward the ball. Hey, don't turn your head out. Keep your head in there. Look at the ball all the way to the bat. Any of you go through any of that with your kids? Any of you do that? What are you doing? You're coaching. You're training. You're demonstrating. Sometimes my dad would stand there, and he'd hold the bat himself, and he'd say, look, get it this way. Get your weight like this. And he always had me. My foot was basically off the ground. I mean, it was, you know, I'm back here like this. He was trying to help me. Our kids need demonstration. You know, they need a demonstration of what it means to love God and to follow God with all of our hearts. This is reliable training. There's demonstration. Secondly, there's education. That word training involves demonstration, but that word training in the biblical Hebrew, it can actually say catechizing children. You know what a catechism is? A catechism is a question-answer method of teaching spiritual truth. You ask a question, the children give you the answer back. You ask a question, they give you the answer back. A lot of churches use catechisms to teach their children biblical truth, to teach their children church doctrine. You can do that, but you can use that method in a lot of different ways, but it's your responsibility to catechize your children. What do you mean by that? It's... By repetition, ingraining biblical values into our children. By repetition, ingraining biblical values into our children. For that matter, moral values, uh, character issues, ingraining them. What would you do, son, if this happened? What would you do, sweetheart, if this occurred? What was, what's the right answer in this situation? So when you're talking about training, you're talking about demonstration. When you're talking about training, you're talking about education. When you're talking about training, you're talking about initiation. There is initiation. Here's an interesting thing about this word train. By the way, these, these Hebrew and Greek words were used in different ways. And you, you go look at how they were used and you learn how people would have understood when they used the word. One of the ways that the word train was used was with the midwives. When a baby was having difficulty learning how to suck and draw the milk from his mother's breast, they would take dates or honey on their finger and they would put it into the child's mouth and they would teach the child by doing so how to suck, how to be able to pull that milk into their mouths. It was creating a desire, creating a, a thirst within that child for the milk that the child needed to be able to live. I think uh, my mother must have used chocolate on me, put it on that, you know, that pacifier, because to this day, I crave it every single day. Are you, are you that way? I didn't have any chocolate yesterday, and I'm hurting today. What are you talking about with initiation? Well, you're creating within your children a hunger for what's right. You're creating within your children a desire for God's ways. You're creating a desire for the things of God. The, the, the Jews did that through feast days and through festivals, through the altars that they built. 
They were constantly bringing their children back, like putting the dates or the honey uh, into the mouth of that baby, teaching that child to desire what God had done. And we have to do that. We have to make our children hungry for more of God by talking about how he works in our lives. We have to share with them how God answers prayer and speaks to us through his word. When's the last time you sat down with a child, one of your children, and you said, look, I was reading my Bible last week. Let me show you what God showed me. Putting that, those dates and that honey into their mouth, and you're saying, I want you to learn to desire it. You have to make Sunday the most exciting day of the week. You have to be enthusiastic about it. If you get more enthusiastic about getting to go to a professional baseball game or a professional football game or a college football game than you do about coming to gather with the people of God on the Lord's Day, is it any wonder why your kids don't have much of a passion for it? Got to create that desire. Got to ask them periodically, where is God at work in your life? You got to point out things. Look what God did for you. Look how God helped you. We prayed this morning for you to do well on that test, and you did great. What are you doing? You're initiating them. You're, you're causing them to see God help them. You're making it where they want to desire more of God's help in their lives. You want to compliment good behavior and choices. Now, we love the discipline. I think my mother's favorite thing was the, was the discipline. But we compliment good behavior and good choices that reflect our values and, and our character, biblical values and biblical character. I mean, a little encouragement goes a long way. But what are you doing? You're, you're causing them to desire it. I, I want this for myself. It's a matter of reliable training. There's demonstration. There's education. There's initiation. And then there's dedication. This word that's translated as train is sometimes used in the scripture to refer to setting a house apart or setting the temple apart or setting an image apart. And it's the idea of you're limiting the way it can be used. You're limiting its use so that it brings the idea of dedicating them to, to this purpose. You're, you're going to limit. You're going to create some boundaries. You're going to have some discipline in their lives. I want you to turn over to Proverbs 29 for a moment. Proverbs 29. I want you to look at verse 15. Please hear these words. 29:15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. There's the matter of dedication meaning that you limit, you have boundaries. There's things where there's discipline involved. There's dedication. And so these three things, the matter of right timing, the matter of responsible tailoring, and the matter of reliable training, provide a framework. They provide a skeleton. You take that framework home and you look at those different points and you begin thinking about your children. You begin praying through your kids and you start wrapping around that skeleton the other things that are necessary for you to accomplish these things in the lives of your children. That's your plan. You say, how long have you had that? I have preached this two or three times previously and I have practiced this my entire life with my children. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, 
And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I understand that I got to start early and I got to be thorough. I understand that I got to tailor this so that it fits him, it fits her, that brings them along in their own individual way. And it's reliable. I'm going to demonstrate it before them. I'm going to educate them in it. I'm going to initiate them so that they desire it for themselves. And I'm going to create discipline so that when they go outside those boundaries, there are consequences for going outside those boundaries. That's a skeleton. Now, you've got to wrap the rest of the things around it related to your family that's unique to your own family. But that's the plan. So let me finish with some things that every parent ought to do today. Four decisions you ought to make today as a parent. Number one, you ought to make the decision that you're going to love God and pursue your relationship with him on a daily basis. This is what I'm going to do. Second, that you're going to honor God by obeying his word in your life. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to show my children what it means to obey God. Thirdly, that you're going to teach your child to love and reverence God. Hear me, love and reverence God. (laughs) I couldn't say gosh or golly. Here I am saying it. I couldn't say darn. I couldn't say some of those slang words. And maybe that's not a big deal for you. It was a big deal for my family growing up when I was growing up because those words were derivative of the worst words or they were derivatives of the name of God himself and we don't speak about God in a light manner. I heard uh, Lee Trevino say one time, for those of you that aren't golfers, he was a famous professional golfer. He said, you could t- in a thunderstorm, you could hold up a one iron. Even God couldn't hit a one iron. I never laugh at that story. I never laugh at that story. I think God is something and someone to be loved and cherished. He is my father. I think he laughs and has joy and enjoys our lives as he sees us obeying him. But you know what? I don't talk about my own daddy that way. You ever heard me disrespect my father, my earthly father? I don't do that. I love my daddy. I wish my daddy were here a thousand times over the last uh, few years. These last 10 years that he's been gone, I wished I could talk to him one more time and say, Dad, I need some advice. Can you just listen to me one more time? You used to help me. Where are you, Dad? And number four, we provide spiritual and moral training for our children according to God's holy word. We, treat, treat, we teach them virtues and values. We teach them morality. Can I just stop here for a moment? If you don't teach your children morality, sexual morality, the world will pervert your child. They're already taking health classes that are teaching them things that really should be left to the family alone. And even Hallmark this year in the Christmas movies is going to have a gay couple. Hallmark. Your children see it, they hear it, and I know what they think because I hear them saying it 
Well, love is love, isn't it? I mean, love is love, isn't it? Does it matter whether it's a man and a woman, if it's two men or two women? Love is love, right? Do you know how to answer that question? If you don't get the answer, you're going to miss the opportunity to instill in your children what true love is. True love never rejoices in iniquity. It never rejoices in iniquity. We've got to teach our children according to these moral values.